3: Welcome, everyone, to the Sports Illustrated Media Podcast. I am your host, Jimmy Trainer. Thanks so much for joining me. Two guests this week. First up, we have Greg Wyszynski of ESPN, senior NHL writer at ESPN, longtime blogger from the Internet, had one of the great blogs, the top hockey blog probably from the Internet, uh, Puck Daddy on Yahoo, went to ESPN and uh, we get to into Greg's career, going from sort of, you know, the wild west of the internet and Yahoo to ESPN, uh, the evolution of his career, the evolution of the internet, little NHL talk about the future of the NHL in terms of broadcast, TV, streaming. Um, and if you're a hockey fan, you'll like it. And if you're not a hockey fan and you're into the sports media business, I think you'll enjoy it thoroughly. And... After Greg, I have a quick chat with one of my best friends, Rich O'Malley, I went to college with. He has a new book out. It's called One Lucky Fan. And Rich decided in his life that one of his goals would be to see every single stadium and arena for every team from the four major sports leagues. So Rich has seen um, every stadium and arena, MLB, NHL, NFL, NBA. He wrote a book about it. It's pretty good. I wrote the forward. So I had to have him on. So... Greg Wyshynski on sports media in the NHL, and then Rich O'Malley on seeing all the stadiums and arenas in this country. On this episode of the SI Media Podcast, go into the archives if you haven't checked out past episodes. Last week's was a very good episode. We had Darren Rovell and Andrew Marchand. Uh, We've got Chris Long in the archives, newly retired from the Eagles. Um, And Mike Breen as well, who's still calling the NBA Finals. So check those out. And I don't want to beg and plead, but if you can leave a review and rate the podcast, I cannot tell you how much it helps. I'd love for you to subscribe too, but rating is easy. You could just hit the stars. A review is good. You could just write, this is great. Not a lot of work. If you hit that subscription button, it's even better. All right. Thanks for doing that. And now let's get into this episode with Greg Wyshynski from ESPN. All right. Joining me now from ESPN, senior NHL writer, longtime internet sensation if you're old school blogs remember those <laughs> days finally like I do Greg Washinsky, Greg how's it going
2: it's it's going good and every everywhere I turn there seems to be uh some wily veteran of the blog days that I bump into or that's still uh kicking around or has moved on to bigger and better things it's uh it's it's it's, it's fun to think about where we all uh, started and uh, where we all uh, ended
3: up I, you know we're, we're about the same age early 40s and um, I don't know I know for me I'd love to hear your thoughts on it I I just I look back on those blog days the most fun every day was fun it seemed like and it was so great all these new people I think of I, I always think of you and I think of the starters and which is kind of it was ironic for I don't know if the, I that's the proper use of ironic I know people get mad when you don't use it properly like Alanis. but, um, you know, I reached out to you yesterday about coming on and, you know, the news dropped that NBA TV was dropping the starters, but I I think of you and I always think of those guys as sort of blogger pioneers who've made it big. And, um, I, I just remember loving those early blog days. Do you think about that often?
2: I do. Um, it's hard not to, especially when you go from sort of, the wild wild west of those early days writing for fan house and then writing for uh dead for a little bit under will each and then writing for yahoo to uh <laughs> you know working for slightly larger corporations that yeah. uh you know you can't just grab a photo off of google images anymore for your post you kind of got to go through the proper channels and stuff like that so i, I do think about those days but um you know and i also think about the, the yahoo experience a lot because you bring up skeets and, and the starters and you know, he and I were there at the same time with a bunch of other guys that have uh, you know moved on to bigger and better things or are still uh, you know doing the job there and, and those blocks man I just think uh, I think they were they hit it the right time they allowed us all to establish ourselves in different ways and uh, I kind of wish that they had stayed the course with those. I think one of the big mistakes that my former employer made was getting away from uh, a moment in which there were so many unique voices and, and unique approaches on how to cover things and um, sort of a cult of personality around those blogs, and then they kind of just sort of um, de-emphasized that. And, uh, and I, you, know, you look at, at the example of, say, Barstool, for example, which is, you know, is, is very, very dissimilar in many ways from the Yahoo blogs, but one similarity is that it, it, it was a cult of personality and a, and a sense of belonging to something that was, uh, you know, bigger than the site uh, that built that audience and that I think in a lot of ways built the Yahoo Blogs audience and then they just sort of missed missed that and uh, went a different direction.
3: Yeah, you hit on a, a very interesting point and, um, you know, you mentioned Barstool and, and they've built... No matter how anyone feels about Barcelona, I know everyone has their own opinions. I, I think, well, maybe some people disagree, but for me, I, I, take away everything else. I, I don't know how you can't be impressed by the loyalty of the fans that they've, they've built. And you had that, I know, with Puck Daddy. I had that back in the Hot Clicks days. I mean, I, I think Twitter changed the game because it gives everyone more options, but pre-Twitter you were able to really build that loyal fan base. Yeah. And it was really a, one of the coolest things I know for me. You had a really diehard following with, with Puck Daddy as well over there at Yahoo.
2: Yeah, and that was the most exhilarating thing about it was the idea that you you know, were, were covering hockey in a completely different way. And and you know, going back to 2008 when me and Leahy and Lambert – and, uh, and and you know others started on the blog. I mean, it was it wasn't commonplace for hockey to be covered on the blogs. It wasn't commonplace for sort of a more American pop culture fan centric approach to hockey to be in the zeitgeist. And you know, it was it was hard sometimes to k- kick down some doors and and get respect. And and in the early days, convince. Um, you know, people that were giving out credentials. Yeah, you know, we can make <laughs> we could make the dick joke, but we can also write a really good feature story about your player. Right. Um, and that was a tough that was a tough sell at first, and and then gradually as, as the sports culture changed and and a uh, reverence sort of crept in, and, and, uh, and, and you know, teams got more comfortable with the idea of there being you know alternative media in their press box. It got a lot easier, and it also got a lot easier too. I'm not gonna lie, that we had a really really big readership. Right. And, um, and it, it does, it, you know, they, the, the NHL, you know, started to really play ball with us when they realized that we had a voice and what we wrote was important and, and that, uh, you know, the, the, the communicating with us was, was better than, than not communicating with us and, and making sure that we had the facts and some behind the scenes stuff was going to make for uh, better coverage. So it was, it was a gradual process, but I think, I think that, that, to lead it back to your question, I think that directly speaks to the, the following that we built, allowed us to reach that point of of quasi respectability
3: i'm gonna go i'm gonna be a bad he- host here and sort of go backwards take take me through um, the what year did you start at yahoo and and create puck daddy and and how many years did you do that for at yahoo before before going to espn
2: we th- we started in 2008 and this is my second year at espn right. um, and so i was working at a, uh, a local chain of weekly newspapers in Virginia doing high school sports and also arts and entertainment, because in York for a newspaper, you have to wear many hats. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, the, the whole time I was sort of writing hockey on the side for some, some different websites. And um, Jamie Mottram, who, uh who is another name from the past for, yep. for, uh, for digital media, um, had gone from AOL to Yahoo and built the Yahoo Sports Blogs and he recruited me for a hockey blog, and at the time, it was called the NHL Experts Blog, which I really always enjoyed. That hubris. <laughs> uh, they decided to not go with that, um, and you know, he and I went back and forth. At one point, Zamboni Pony was going to be an option for the name of the blog,
3: Zamboni and then we
2: settled Pony. on Puck Daddy. But the real, the real twi- the real you know struggle was to convince him to take on uh, a hockey writer full time, because at the time, the, the powers that be were looking for. A part-time writer, and you know, I was I was doing pretty well at the newspaper as far as scratching out a living, and, and I didn't want to like go someplace and only work part-time. And I said, look, you know, if you really want this to be a success, bring me in full-time, and it will be a success. And and luckily, they took a chance on me and took a chance on my staff, and we, you know, made it a success.
3: What 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 do you think the key was to becoming a success? Obviously, hard work is one thing, but. Do you think it was bringing a new voice? Do you think it was the passion you had for the NHL? What, what, what combination of things had how, how were you able to build that audience, grow that audience, and keep it so loyal?
2: It was three things. Um, the first is to try to, like you said, the voice was really important. And the voice was something where, you know, I wrote the majority of the articles in the posts, so the voice was very much mine. But it was also one that everybody who worked on the site kind of, Contributed to. We used to actually have a three joke minimum for posts. I mean, if it, outside of like the death of Gordy Howe, like, kind right. <laughs> of put like three jokes in that. But but we tried to keep the tone in in a certain way, and and I think that that rule really helped do that. Um, that even in like the stories that were more serious, we were able to kind of just like lighten it up a little bit and keep it entertaining at the very least. Um, I, I think that that was a huge thing. Um, I, I, I think there was a lot of a lot of things that were just kind of lucky timing-wise, where there hadn't really been anything like us, you know, to come around. I think the fact that we involved the community as much as we did that was huge. Like right. to cast as wide a net as we could in our daily like link roundup to different voices that didn't necessarily ever have a lot of people reading them. And and I would get notes all the time from like small blogs on like Blogspot and places like that. They were just like thanking me for. For pitching traffic their way and, and bringing you know readers to their site for the first time and they would see a bump and and, and coverage so i mean it was it was, it was cool and then yeah. you know on top of all that just i think uh frequency was big um mm-hmm. you know when i was working at deadspin the frequency of, of posting was a really big thing that i took away from there which is that if you're somebody sitting at your desk at work and uh you're going to a sports site every time you go should be something new and so we used to post something every hour on Puck Daddy, and maybe that was to our detriment as far as uh, the time we spent on the site or, or traffic-wise. I have no idea, but I just know that people got into the routine that every time they came to the site, there would be something different there, and I, I very much stole that from, from Deadspin. And
3: that that was the place to steal stuff from back then. Um, they, <laughs> they were the top dogs, you know, back in that era. Now, Now, obviously, the entire game – and what we do, I mean, what we do is different, but in that same vein, it, it all changed, I, I think. And you, if you disagree, let me know. When Twitter came along. So to be successful today now, what do you think the keys are? Is it the same or is it, it different? The biggest
2: change for me um, was definitely in, in that community sense. Like you said, like we used to hold chats during the day. We used right, to hold right, chats right. during games. And we would just see the numbers fall off a cliff after Twitter rose to prominence. I mean, it just, the conversation moved to Twitter, it moved to Reddit, and it was just sort of this dispersal of the audience away from centralized locations. And um, and that really kind of, you know, I think affected some of the more communal aspects of what we did. But to be successful today, I mean, I think I think platform matters. Um, I, don't, I don't think if I was still at Yahoo that I would be um, doing as well as I am. I just think that, you know, you... you you have to be in a place that knows how to package your stuff and promote your stuff and, and uh, and you know, get, get it in front of people. So, you know, when I write something now that uh, touches on a number of different topics and it gets sent directly to people's phones and everybody has the SPN app, I mean, it's great. <laughs> right. so it's a really handy way for people to find your work. Yeah. Um, but uh, But as far as, like, doing what we did back in the day, I mean, I just think it's really hard now to, to build that community and and to have people feel like they're a part of something because there are just so many other places where you can feel that way. Like, you know, that we were, we were an oasis in a lot of ways for hockey fans, Mm -hmm. now hockey fans have tons and tons of choices uh, to uh, kind of get their fill.
3: Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Um, And then uh, about two years ago, you make the decision to leave Yahoo and and go to ESPN to become their senior NHL writer. I know you also have the, um, the podcast ESPN on ice how how difficult was that decision and I think that you know when you were sort of the uh, you know like you used the phrase early on in this interview back then the blogs wild wild west and then you go to ESPN um it was a little culture shock there I guess but tell me about that decision (laughs) and and what your thought process was
2: well, the decision gets a lot easier when they lay off your staff, which yeah. is uh, <laughs> what happened yeah. at Yahoo. And you know, I, I had a choice in front of me, which is to try to you know take it and change Puck Daddy and and uh, morph it and shape it and and, and do do it with a, a group of of people that I didn't hire and that I I don't I didn't really know and that weren't even like in the same country as me. Um, so I, I made the decision that like I didn't want to try to recreate something I already created and. You know, the STN thing came along at a time when they had a a, a big staffing change and, and they were talking about trying to change the direction of how they um, approached hockey. Um, I think it was maybe a little bit too news centric and not enough culture centric and fan centric and, and dealing with the topics that were in the conversation. Um, and so, you know, they hired Emily Kaplan, they hired me, and I think that the results have been great since then. And as far as the culture shock, yeah, I mean, (laughs) it's always a culture shock when uh, you go from a place where it's the wild, wild west. You're your own editor. You're kind of throwing everything up against the wall, and and most of it sticks because um, you know it's 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 not a place that has uh, rights and uh, and and things of that nature. Um, And here, you generally learn where the line is, um, and it's and it's been fine. I mean, it's not a a situation where i can write as colorfully uh language wise right. and as uh, a, a native of the great state of new jersey i think you know what i mean <laughs> um but uh but i can still i can still write challenging pieces and, and be opinionated and, and attack the nhl when it needs to be attacked and and all those things that uh, i was able to do at yahoo
3: and i i know that you you you've never been shy about Voicing your opinions on Twitter—that's why I've always enjoyed following you. And you, 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 often like to mix it up on there. Have you gotten in trouble at ESPN for anything you've tweeted? Or you, you've been behaved since going to the? No, never, there?
2: never. Okay, cool. um, I think, I think, you know, I think you know when you when you're working at a place that there are, are topics you want to avoid, and it's not even because uh, inevitably it always comes back to the politics stuff. I just got exhausted by it. Like, right, right. I
3: just, well, I, I, don't even mean necess- yeah, yeah. I, I don't even mean politics necessarily. Yeah, yeah. I don't even mean politics. I, first of all, I think a lot of us are in that same boat where we were like, you know, flabbergasted by what was going on, tweeted about it a lot. and Now we're sort of numb to it, and
2: yeah, it's I not mean, a big part.
3: there's other ways to get in trouble hi- on Twitter.
2: My hiring at my hiring at ESPN was hilarious. I, I, I think I've told this story before in a podcast, but um, I had written a piece about uh, PK Subban and uh, Black Lives Matter and the anthem protests and everything. Mm-hmm. And it got picked up by Breitbart, right, right. and uh, there was this
4: huge,
2: super big controversy, and you know people are coming at me, and my mentions are filled by all the Breitbart people and everything, and and then and then like my last day at Yahoo was coming up pretty soon, so I like announced I was leaving Yahoo, and then immediately everybody thought it was because I got fired for ah. writing something that got picked up by right. Breitbart, and then of course the ultimate irony is that my next job is ESPN, right? Which is, exactly, you know, just yeah. really a hilarious series of events, but, um, no, I mean, the one thing I have to say that I had to pull back on and this was a cognizant decision was watching, you know, a a broadcast that we have, whether it's the NBA or the NFL or, or whatever, and and maybe being ticked off about something an announcer says or being ticked off about (laughs) like a decision the director makes or things like that. I mean, like we all do it. Uh, but it's when you, when you're working for that company, the last thing you want to do is, 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 insult a coworker now. Right. I think is the only thing I've had to really be cognizant of. And that's not anybody <laughs> saying don't do it. That's me being like, it's probably not the best thing to do. Right. It's
3: <laughs> it's just common sense. Yes. Believe me, there right, are, yeah. are <laughs> SI people I would want to insult on Twitter too, and I don't do it. So it's just common sense. Um Yeah. The, but it,
2: I've, I've never had I've never had anybody come to me and say don't tweet something or or um or or you know give me grief for having tweeted something. And right. that's also sort of like your maturation as a, as a, as a, a very online person where, you know, now, now my pointless fights with people center around hockey right. when, and maybe two years ago, they would have centered around other issues and, and you, you just end up getting in these, this, this, you're just pissing in the wind for 24 hours straight and it just sprays back in your face.
3: Yeah. Uh, another sort of evolution that we've all sort of gone through from those early blogging days is then we all sort of end up with a podcast it seems like i know you did a very popular one while you were at yahoo and now you have the one at espn um do do you enjoy doing the podcast as much as writing do you is love doing the podcast is it because i know for me when i'm doing this when i'm speaking to you i love it everything around it drives me nuts like booking it and promoting it um so i'm just curious what your feelings are on that
2: well, you do catch me on a day when I'm trying to uh, juggle the schedule of two different podcasts around a Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Final, yeah. which has just been a, a nightmare in and of itself. But uh, no, I mean, so the, I used to do a, a, a daily Puck Daddy radio thing with a guy named Rob Pizzo in Canada. And then after that, um, me and Jeff Merrick, the, the Merrick versus Wyszynski podcast right. for several years. And it was one of the most exhilarating experiences of my life. I mean, you talk about building community and building fan base and building people that give a... A uh, crap about what you do. I mean, that was probably the apex of it. It was such a rewarding experience, and 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 one of those like people coming up to you still years after it ended saying these podcasts helped me through some really bad times and things of that nature. So it was it was it's just it was a treasure of a time. And then the two I do today are ESPN and Ice with Emily um, on ESPN, and then we do Puck Soup, uh, which me and Dave Lozo hosted for a couple of years, and then uh, Lozo uh, left to uh, be concentrate on being a writer for Katie Nolan's show. And, uh, so me and down goes Brown and, and Ryan Lambert do it now. And, and it's, it's been really, really wonderful to take something that was successful and then kind of tweak it and morph it and shape it. And then it became even more successful than it was. But, um, long-winded answer to a short, to your short question, which is, I, I wish I could do a podcast every day. I wish I could get really? out in the air wow. and yell about the hockey every single day. Um, I, I wish there was two hours of the day in which it was just me taking calls talking to guests, doing, doing the podcast thing, but doing it every day, I would love nothing more than that. Um, but that said, there's nothing that replaces the exhilaration of, of piecing together a story that, you know, is impactful and and writing the big column after an event like a game seven, like that's still going to be the the favorite thing that I do in life.
3: Yeah. And I've seen you on TV. I know you're getting into that too, because obviously if you go to ESPN, that's sort of the progression. (laughs) How's that treating you?
2: It's good, man. Like, it, so you know, they, what's been really fun about that is that you figure if you're at ESPN, wherever you go, there's going to be like you know a guy holding a camera pointing it at you, or a <laughs> studio with a a camera set up where you're doing these shows. And most of the time, it's very DIY. It's like I have a tripod I travel with. Um, there's a cell phone that I use to um, you know sync up with the board back in Bristol. I'm using you know I'm carrying around a microphone with a microphone flag in my in my backpack with wow. my laptop. Huh. It's yeah. It's it's all. It, it, there's a, there's a part of that that's really you know harkening back to those those early blog days and those early newspaper days of hey kids let's put on a show right um, and then you watch it on TV and you would you would never know like it looks so good um, so I, I've been doing hits on the Daily Wager which I think is a really fun show mm. and also um, an interesting one because hockey and uh, and gambling is is clearly. In a in a an in a, in a interesting spot going forward, as far as the potential for it to really change the way that people watch the game and and potentially affect the popularity of the sport and then I've done a, a bunch of hits on Outside the Lions as sort of their go to de facto hockey guy when weird things happen or cool things happen and that's been that's been great because that's I mean that's a show I used to watch all the time right. it's it's kind, of, it's kind of like when I got hired at Yahoo and I was already playing fantasy football, like I was already <laughs> watching outside the Lions and, right, right, right. and then I, I get to be on the too
3: uh let's talk about covering the nhl um it's not exactly a secret that in america there are a few more sports that are more popular than the nhl and um well let's start with this does that does that ever bum you out when you see all the attention that the nba is getting or the nfl or you've been doing this so long you're completely used to that and you have a big enough audience where you're not you don't get that jealous pang
2: Oh, no, no. It's not, it's not jealousy at all. It, it, is, it is inspiring uh, because you know that in order to break through that noise, you have to be that good and you have to find stories that resonate on such a, a large scale um, that that's the only way you're going to break through that cacophony. I mean, that was the way it always was at Yahoo, and it's the same at ESPN, is that we know that any single thing that happens in the Warriors Raptor series is going to get play right. and it's going to get huge play and it's going to do great numbers and it should cause that series has been fascinating and, and dramatic and wonderful. Um, so, you know, for me, it's like, how do I, how do I go about getting, you know, through that? Well, it's, it's finding the human side of players. It's, it's, it's talking about controversies. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's finding stories like the, the St. Louis post dispatch running the congratulatory letter <laughs> from the St. Louis blues owner saying right. that they already won the cup. You know, it's like it's finding those stories that I know are going to, you know, break through the hockey bubble and find a larger audience. And so I never lament the fact that the hockey isn't as big uh, as those other sports because I think it's, it's, my, it's part of my responsibility, not only as a, as a journalist, but also as a hockey fan, to find ways to make people pay attention to, to the thing I love.
3: So so as a veteran of this business, and and you've seen it all from the blogs to the big company like ESPN, and y- you've been doing this a long time, where do you stand on the issue of, because, it, I mean, we have this issue sort of at SI, and uh, truth be told, I mean, I've told SI for years, I said, if you want to get traffic to hockey, hire Greg Wyshynski, but nobody listens to me, but that's <laughs> besides the point. Um, I, I'm curious where you stand on the issue of, you know, a company could, say, a sports media company could say, "We don't cover as hockey as much as maybe we should because it doesn't get the traffic," or is it you're not getting the traffic because you're not covering it the way you should?
2: Oh, you know, that's a question. I mean, I think there's, there's a lot of layers to it. I mean, there's no question that it doesn't uh, get as popular as much. It's not as popular as of sports. There's no question that at the most important time of the year, the audience tends to dissipate a little bit. I mean, you know, people. Aren't, aren't following hockey as much in the middle of June as they would be, you know, if it was maybe the championship was held in the winter or something like that. I think it's always been a problem. What do you, why do you um, think that? I don't mean to
3: cut you off, but why do you think... I, I've never heard that before. Why, why do you think that is? I'm curious. It's an interesting... It's
2: a, com- it's a combination of a couple things. I mean, you know, psychologically, you know, one of the assumptions has always been the idea that when it is the middle of June and your kids are out of school and you're thinking about the beach and you're thinking about the pool, you're not thinking about the ice. Right. And that's always been kind of a challenge. And then the other thing is that, that, that hockey fans, and, and this has long been the, the, uh, the belief, is that hockey fans are very tribal by nature and mm-hmm. that when their teams are eliminated, uh, they tend not to continue to watch the playoffs. So, you know, if every hockey fan that watches hockey on the regular, during the regular season and during the playoffs all watch the Stanley Cup final, numbers would be huge, but they don't, um, for whatever reason. And, uh, and so even though the ratings have been strong for this series, uh, they, they, I've always felt like they could be exponentially better. Um, if everybody was kind of on board and, and watched the sport after their team was, was eliminated, this
3: is kind of how it is. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Um, yeah. So the other question then again about is it lack of coverage or is it the lack of traffic leads to the lack of courage, coverage coverage?
2: Um I think here, here let me let me bring it back to, to ESPN. Um sure. one of the challenges that we have is that we're not a rights holder, right? So um I don't think it's any secret that it, you know the sports and that which the ESPN holds for which ESPN holds the rights get a lot of coverage and and they go and put studio shows there and then um, you know you get to see a lot of of stuff about those things and you know, I think hockey fans saw that when the World Cup of Hockey was was, uh, was aired on ESPN, um, they bumped up the studio coverage, they talked about it more. Mm-hmm. And so the challenge for me and Emily and, and all the people that are on the hockey side is um, because we haven't had the rights for a long time, people have been kind of trained not to come to ESPN necessarily for hockey. Mm-hmm. And so not only are we trying to give them a reason to come there and read stuff by putting out good content, but also trying to... You know, kind of plant a flag and say, "Look, you know, the, the people that we talk to within the company tell us that hockey is is becoming uh, more and more prevalent in their conversations because the game is faster. There's more scoring. There's a generation of young stars. When I was hired, that was the message sent to me. It's like it's a really good time to write about hockey, it's just because of the uptick and, and sort of the excitement and all that other stuff. So, um, so I, I I think the challenge for us is to try to say, hey. You know there are legions of, of of hockey fans inside the the company. If you walk around that newsroom, you'd be stunned by how many Bruins flags and Whalers flags and Predators flags and stuff that are on people's desks. But also that you know this is going to be a place that that you know covers the hell out of the sport, and uh, you should you should come there every day expecting to see fantastic coverage, even if you haven't been coming there in in recent years.
3: So I'm curious. Wh- wh- where do you see the NHL's future in terms of in terms of coverage with obviously streaming and you know ESPN now has ESPN Plus and obviously uh, we have DAZN, DAZN, whatever it's called. Um, and I-, I should know this, and I apologize for not knowing the exact details of the NBC contract if it's up anytime soon. Uh, but do you you know is is it do you think the NHL would do a streaming deal with someone? Obviously the Stanley cup finals will always be on network TV or ESPN or something like that, but regular season, um, you think there's an opportunity there for the NHL to branch out, expand? How do you see that going?
2: I, I, I can only speak to, um, what I've heard from people around the league. Um, cause obviously anything that's happening at my shop is way above my pay grade, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I, I know for a fact that the the board of governors and people within the the power structure of the NHL have been very hungry in the next deal to spread the wealth. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the monolithic deal with NBC pr- produced an incredible amount of revenue, and they were able to put out a lot of press releases with the word billion in it. Um, but there's been enormous pressure on on Gary Bettman and, and the NHL itself to, you know, to make the kind of deal that the NFL has, that the NBA has, the Major League Baseball has, to cast a lot with different networks and, mm. and trying to maximize exposure. Um, so I fully expect that's going to be the case in the next TV deal. When it comes to streaming, I mean, I, I, I was—I've uh, um, I, I kind of forgot to mention this before, but like part of the reason why there's been an uptick in interest at, uh, at ESPN about hockey is that we have games—they're uh, they, on Plus. Right. There was a, a game every night, basically on ESPN Plus, in the crease with Linda Cohn and Butch Gross and Barry Melrose has been a highlight show that's been on every night, mm-hmm. um, and so that has certainly helped us from a coverage perspective because now that they have the games they want to promote the games, Emily and I are writing stories about about teams that are in the games and then that gets featured pretty prominently because they want people to come and, and watch the games on streaming. So that's been a huge boon for us in the last year. And and I think that it also speaks to to, you know, to answer your question, I think it speaks to the possibilities that are there for the NHL to, you know, cast a lot with a couple of TV TV networks and then explore all opportunities for for where to stream the games, you know, whether it's some of these places that are looking to you know, acquire a a, a marquee um, a, a league uh, to attract fans to their service, or, or even if it's a, a legacy company, I think I think all things are on the table for them as far as what the next
3: deal might be. Looks like the next deal will happen after the twenty twenty one season. That's when NBC's contract is up, and yeah, I mean, it does. I think NBC, what it's it's almost I don't want to say it's irrelevant, but what I it's almost irrelevant what <laughs> NBC does from the standpoint of. No matter what they do the nhl is tied in with one network and like you said it it seems like it would really benefit the sport if they can loop in you know two or three networks to to air the games
2: yeah i just thought always thought that was logical like i remember back in the in the the last negotiation i mean you know there was talk about potentially you know games ending up on spike tv or things like that at the time and I just think that the 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 more you spread out your product, the more it gets featured in, in teasers and commercials and yep. what have you during programming that maybe that your fans aren't the only ones watching. And uh, you know, I, I I just think that that spreading the wealth is is, is the best decision for them. But at least in the states. I mean, in Canada, obviously, you're you're dealing with two giant <laughs> media organizations and in Rogers and and, and TSN uh, that are just going to be. Or Bell Media that are always going to be like warring over the the rights and and either one or the other will get them. But I mean, here in the states, there are just so many different options now um, that I think it's it, from what I from what I gather again from conversations within within the financial power structure, it just seems like a no brainer that in this next deal they're going to they're going to spread the wealth. Yeah.
3: It's funny because I'm I'm thinking of baseball and I do feel like obviously that's an audience that's dwindling, gets older, et cetera, et cetera. But I do I do feel like when the baseball postseason starts you see a million ads for it. I think it's promoted very well. I think you can't avoid it. But then, you know, you want to watch a game and you don't know what the hell... Ch- if it's on, You don't know if it's on FS1, <laughs> ESPN, MLB Network, and you're all confused when that happens. So I, I guess there's a slight, slight downside to that.
2: Uh, yeah, there's there always is. But, yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> the, the real issue beyond that availability of games and putting it on different networks, obviously, is... You know, and this is something I've been working towards since 2008, even before that, is just... Broadening the fan base, you know, giving other people that haven't checked out the sport a reason to check it out, Um, changing the demographic makeup of the sports fan base is essential to its its growth and its success. And uh, and and it's like I said earlier, man, it's a lot of different cultural issues, economic issues. Um, stereotypical issues that are always going to be in, in the sports way. We're, we're chipping away at it, uh, yeah. but it's, it's still a pretty pretty steep hill to climb.
3: But before we wrap, I just, I'm just i curious. I want to get your take on NHL players. Um, uh, let me ask you this. Since Have you developed relationships with more players since going to ESPN and focusing more on the stories you're doing there than you were in Puck Daddy, or has it been the same uh, in terms of getting to know players, contacts, stuff like that? I think we get pitched more
2: um, right. just because we're there. And I think that, you know, when you have all these different platforms, whether it be TV or, you know, for the last couple of years, the magazine, even though it's, it's the sadly going by the wayside, um, you know, there's always going to be agents and, and representatives and marketing companies that are pitching you players because they know that you have those platforms. Right. So I think we get a lot more of that coming at us than I did at Yahoo for, for obvious reasons. But as far as my approach, man, like it. I've always had good relationships with GMs. I have relationships with some players, but I think they're just players who sort of understand and appreciate my uh, unique approach to coverage, right, <laughs> not right. necessarily me buddying up to them or or what have you. Um but so that hasn't really changed. Yeah. But um but you know, the, I think these guys know that, you know, when you are working for ESPN that there uh, there's a certain maybe comfortability there that they might not have had in other places where they know there's a power structure. They know that there's an editor and they know essentially that, uh, you know, there's going to be some, uh, the journalistic levels above you maybe that are going to make them feel more comfortable and, and, and sitting down for a long Q&A or coming on the podcast, for example, with me and Emily. But I, I think the best way to put it is on Puck Soup, I, I curse a lot and, and, and we talk pop culture and I make uh, horrible uh, you know jokes and say uh, go on the Howard Beale rants, and it might be harder to get a player for that right. <laughs> than it is uh, for, for ESPN on Ice where it's still great and still ranty but but much more i think in keeping with a traditional sort of radio setup
3: see in my warp mind it should be easier to get guests on the other one because that's where you're having a fun conversation and letting it all (laughs) letting it all flow well
2: part part of it's part of it's also on puck soup we don't we don't go for them a lot puck soup was always sort of this place where we had for a long time a a no player's rule, um where we just wanted to talk about talk to hockey fans and talk to people that were, you know, part of hockey culture and, you know, actors and things of that nature. Um, So I don't know. It it, it may not necessarily be even a home for a player to appear on or a GM to appear on, but I definitely know that, you know, that being an independent, you know, uh, uh, a podcast that has uh, you know, funded by advertisers and the Patreon versus being the flagship hockey podcast of ESPN. I'm pretty sure I know which one is easier (laughs) to book.
3: (laughs) For sure. Uh, I I didn't want to get into too much, um, Bruins blue stuff only because we're taping this on Tuesday. It comes out Wednesday. Then there's a game Wednesday night. But uh, just before we wrap, um, there's obviously nothing better than a game seven. So this this sort of played out as good as it it could have for you from from a fan standpoint and a business standpoint, right?
2: Yeah, I mean it's the first one since 2011 uh, when when the Bruins beat the. Uh, Canucks, and then Vancouver tried to burn down the city um, afterwards, which was <laughs> its own its own story. Uh, yeah, it, it's been a really entertaining series, and it's been a crazy playoff, And if, if nothing else, like I've been inspired by the success that that, that we've had from a numbers perspective, and that uh, you know NBC's had from a ratings perspective, having a postseason where weird stuff has happened. Mm-hmm. You know, like the lightning going out in a sweep in the first round, Carolina going on their run, right. the Blues going from worse in January to the Game Seven of the Stanley Cup Final. And people have the same the same people who always bitch about not being able to being able to being forced to watch the same teams over and over again, like oh another outdoor game with the Blackhawks. Well, they 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 bellied up and they watched the games that didn't involve the legacy teams. There were more there were more renowned franchises in the draft lottery this year than there were in the playoffs, mm-hmm. and, and yet the the num- numbers and the interest and everything else was really strong, and that was impressive. But i got to tell you, man, Like it, it's been really fun to cover the Blues. I've been out West. Um, I moved from Manhattan to San Jose in, in February because my wife had a new job. and So I was covering sort of the Western Conference on the reg for the first time, and it's been great. The really fascinating team, really fascinating players, and the kinds of human interest stories, like their um, anthem singer who was battling multiple scler- sclerosis said mm-hmm. this was going to be his last season, and then they go all the way to the final possible home game <laughs> for him to sing. Um, you know, the, the Layla Anderson, the little girl who was battling this rare disease, became kind of like the inspiration for the team. Like There's been a ton of stories on, on that side of the ledger that are the ones we talked about before that break through the cacophony and, and get huge numbers, um, even when it's it's hockey. And then on top of that, I got to cover some really, really controversial stuff, like the the, the major penalty in the San Jose, LA, uh, uh, Las Vegas game, rather, that mm-hmm. resulted in the Sharks comeback, The missed hand pass and overtime in the Blue Shark series. It it's been a really, um, it's been a fun playoff to cover because there's been a ton of different things to write about. You had controversy stuff, you had player stuff, you had game stuff, and then you had sort of that off ice, uh, featurey, you know, uh, you know, e60 kind of stuff, and it's been really, really fun.
3: Well, I'm glad I finally was able to get Jan, and um, it's great to see an old school blogger kicking ass over at ESPN. Oh, thanks. Man. And we got to do a show. We got to do a show one day just about what that era was like pre-Twitter when the blogs are flying. That was so fun.
2: Yeah, there, there was. A, <laughs> there's a book there somewhere. I know there that uh, one of those uh, either big leader or awful announcing at one point did a, a, a look back at Fan House, which is a lot of fun. That was if if you're a a, a fan of the old school internet, look up that that sort of oral history because yeah. it was really eye opening for exactly how that thing fell apart when they devalued the people bringing in traffic and then paid <laughs> way too much for guys like Jay Mariotti. It was um, wild. But, yeah, yeah, we should do this again because, yeah. the, you know, every time I listen to this podcast, and I am a regular listener. I appreciate My that. God, man. You know, mm-hmm. Sopranos, science wrestling. I know, I know. These are my lifeblood. The, this is the, arguably the most the most focused interview you've done on this podcast in, in maybe three years. I'm trying to be very <laughs> respectful
3: to the <laughs> NHL audience out there. I haven't had... When, when I have you on a second time, well, you know, I want to sort of explain to people why you're such an internet legend and now you're at espn too so I, you know i don't want to ask any questions that you know they may uh scoff at over there i know everything has to be approved you know even when i get scott van pelt on they got to approve it so i'm trying to keep you out of trouble you know i, mean, I have to say the thing the <laughs> two i do I appreciate that if you go through the years of us maybe like tweeting back and forth at each other i think the thing we've probably tweeted about the most of each other is wrestling stuff i know you're a huge wrestling guy so I, I, we'll definitely have you on again to, to chat about the fun stuff.
2: Yeah, it is cool. It is cool when you, when, you know, I'm, I'm checking my, my feet or whatever. And all of a sudden I realize you, you've, you've chatted up like Roman Reigns or, <laughs> you know, any of those people. I'm like, wow, that'd be a real fascinating conversation. Kind of, kind of jealous of Jimmy forget for landing these, these interviews while I'm chasing down Colton Pareco of the uh, St. Louis blues. to Talk I, about game seven. <laughs> I
3: can't tell you how much I appreciate you saying that. Cause you can let me uh, plug the fact that I, Seth Rollins is supposed to be on this podcast next week. So, there you go.
2: There he is. All right. The, 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 the <laughs> legend slayer, king slayer, or whatever the hell they're calling him these days. Yeah, I think
3: it's – no, I think Randy Orton's the legend slayer, but I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not watching it much. What these
2: was – well, he's, he's Tyler Black, so who cares? Yeah,
3: that, that's inside. <laughs> All right, Greg, enjoy, uh, enjoy Game 7. Appreciate you coming on, and uh,
1: be well. Thanks, Jimmy. All right, take care.
3: All right, good chat there with Greg Wyshynski. Before we get to Rich O'Malley, quick word here from our sponsor.
0: Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of challenge champion. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: All right, this is going to be weird, but I'm a good friend, so let's see if I can get through this. Joining me now... One of my best friends in life, been best friend since college, and he wrote a book. He's an author. I wrote the forward, so I got to help him sell some books. He used to work at the Daily News. Like I said, now he's an author. Rich O'Malley, the author of One Lucky Fan, a book about him seeing every stadium and arena for the four major sports leagues, every team. Rich, how are you?
2: Jimmy? Thank you for having me on. I realized as I was gearing up for this, I think we passed the 25-year mark recently.
3: A friendship? Yeah, yeah. I know. We have to do this like a straight interview. We can't do this like one of our phone conversations. So, And I'll say this. Oh, boy. Actually, let me just say this right off the bat. This is how good of a friend I am. I am breaking one of my top, top rules for hosting this podcast, which is I don't want to interview anyone who's promoting a book. Those are the worst interviews by far. They go on every show in America, and you put out the podcast, and then it's like they're tweeting like, oh, I was on the Dan Patrick Show promoting my book. Oh, I was on Jim Rohn promoting my book. Oh, here I was on this podcast promoting my book. And then you just look like a dipshit. And so I don't put people on who are just promoting books. So that's how good of a friend I I am. I
2: appreciate that you know that I am selling my soul here to to get this book out in front of as many eyeballs as well. All right,
3: so... Let's just get through all it, All right. Friend. So the book is called "One Lucky Fan." So here is the deal: Rich has now seen every single stadium and arena for every team in Major League Baseball, National Hockey League, National Basketball Association, and the and Major League Baseball. Or did I say that one twice? I don't know. But the four majors: NFL, is the last NFL, month. National Football League. Tell people first of all how long did this journey take you, and then. When you started it and then how you finished it, give us like the timeline of it.
2: Sure. I mean, I started back when we were first getting to know each other back at uh, CW Post in college. And uh, we took a couple of road trips together, uh, you and I and some other folks. And our first big one was what we called Trip One. And we went out to the Midwest and saw a bunch of those stadiums. That was right after Jimmy graduated and uh the second one was after i graduated he's older than me
3: by one year one year Uh, and then we we took that one a
2: little bigger and uh another friend of ours pd and myself we went all the way across the country for that one and that's really where this whole thing was born uh thinking that someday i might be able to get to all of them
3: and then how did you finish it off
2: i finished it off in uh, uh 2017 i took a gigantic trip which i would advise to absolutely nobody um but i had to do it it was my mission in life to, to finish the game as i call it and see all 123 before i could write the full story about it and so i needed 40 more teams as about i was about 83 at that point and so i went on a road trip where i saw 42 games over 53 days um it was a breakneck pace, and no one should ever do anything like that. It's just ridiculous and stupid. Forty but it leads to some funny stories, which you'll get in the
3: book. All right. 42 games in 53 days. Yeah. How Do you know, you usually know this minutiae off the top of your head. How many states were you in in that time span?
2: Uh, I did write states. I was in 31 metropolitan areas across 16 states and three provinces of our neighbor to the
3: north. In how many days? Fifty. 53. 53 days. And you were physically this, exhausted and mentally exhausted at the end of that, correct? Uh, completely. I
2: was sick as a dog for Christmas that year. I could barely crawl down the stairs to say hello to my family before I crawled back up and they all opened presents and were happy and had a nice meal and I was miserable in bed.
3: Would you do it all over again the way you did it or would you do it differently to get every stadium in?
2: No, I think I enjoy a good challenge. And so I would probably say i would break it up next time i like going on these week-long 10-day two-week kind of trips those are 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 the perfect uh uh, length doing three months on the road almost with no break living out of a backpack it's just it's it's no it's no kind of life so uh, if anyone else out there wants to take these kinds of trips i would say you know pick your spots Uh, in the midwest you can bounce around and get 10 different places over two weeks in baseball and football, or depending on the season, if you want to add in basketball, hockey, whatever your thing is, uh, that would be my advice.
3: All right, let's go through the the four major leagues one by one. Let's start with baseball. Give me, to the people listening to this, the one stadium they must absolutely see before they die, and then what is the worst stadium that you would not recommend anyone going to? Go start with MLB. Uh Okay, so
2: in baseball, you know, aside from the two obvious you know, cathedrals of baseball, Wrigley and Fenway, uh, top of my list is PNC Bank uh, Park in uh, Pittsburgh. They just did everything right. It's a gorgeous view from your seat. You're overlooking those two bridges and then the city skyline. You feel like you can reach out and touch them. I absolutely adore that place. Uh, Right now, though, the worst place on my list and people can give me grief for this all they want. I don't care. It's my book. It's my list. The new Atlanta Stadium just brings absolutely nothing to the table. It's boring. They had a chance to really make a nice improvement down there from the from the Ted from Turner Field, and they just blanked it. Um, I was not a fan at all.
3: That doesn't seem like a controversial opinion. All right, let's do. Uh, well, when you have places like
2: Oakland Coliseum and Tampa right, right. Bay Dump down there, you know, yeah. I mean, those places are pretty obviously bad
3: too. Right. All right, let's go to NHL. Yes. A must-see um, arena I've, and then the biggest dump.
2: I love the new arena in Detroit. Um, it's very unique, the way they built it. There's, it. It almost feels like you're in a mall when you're walking around it, and there's all this stuff over to your right. There's these shops and restaurants, and it's really just very sleek and, and clean and feels very nice. Upstairs, it's almost like a catwalk. It's not your normal arena hallway. And I really appreciated that. And the other thing that's great about it is they have the bridge viewing, like they have at Madison square garden mm-hmm. where you're almost elevated up above the ice and the, and the court when it's there for basketball. So that's a really nice touch too.
3: And MBA. NBA. I'll tell you,
2: I, I fell in love with uh, Oracle arena on the trip. And you know, in a couple of days, it's going to have its swan song because it's, it's, departing the nba right uh they're going to move over to the new chase center next year in san francisco so that's a loss for the sport it, it, it just had sort of, sort of an old tiny charm uh they've kept it up to date as best they can and i see the need for a new place especially with the Warriors' success right now but i'll miss that place
3: and the biggest dump in the nba
2: <sighs> take your pick i mean there are so take many cookies that are 1990s you know monolithic Built two big uh, places, uh, you know, that just come to mind. That's the thing about arenas is they're very samey. And in the book, I say, like, here's like five or ten places you really should go. Here's the places to avoid. Everything that's in the middle, they're all the same. Nothing matters. All
3: right. Well, NFL stadiums are great. So give me the best and the worst there in the National Football League.
2: Yeah. The best sports experience in America by far, hands down for me, is Green Bay. Uh, Lambeau field is iconic and you know, that, ex- that extends out of the gates of the stadium and into the tiny town that surrounds it. The feel on a game day there is just, you can't, you can't replicate that anywhere else in America. I absolutely love it. Um, if you're afraid of the cold and you don't want to go up there, the new Atlanta stadium, uh, equally great in a different way. They just did everything right. And it's very fan friendly. And you know, my least. Favorite oh yeah. Stadium.
3: It is the worst. Met life in it New Jersey. Hilarious. Yeah. It's a horrible gray building with no charm and no nothing. Yeah. MetLife in Jersey. I saw the first thing you weren't there that night. It was with other people. The first thing that opened up MetLife was a Bon Jovi concert that we went to. What a I, surprise. And I could not believe what a dump it was. Absolute yeah. dump.
2: Tell I pe- banned it for life in
3: the book. Give me, now pe- people who don't know this, I, Rich is a notorious cheapskate. Give people, give people, give people who want to go on a road trip or want to see multiple stadiums, multiple arenas, a couple of tips for how they can do it without breaking the bank.
2: Sure, uh, this has gotten a lot easier in the last couple of years, in the last decade or so, uh, with the you know advent of, of apps. Um, you know, all of these needs that you had as a traveler in the past you can now bring up on your phone and change things on the fly in a matter of seconds. And that means, you know, StubHub and um, SeatGeek, you can, you can drop in there and get a, a great ticket minutes before a game for often less than face value. Um, that was never the case in the past. You were reliant on really shady uh, scalpers outside the stadium, and it was always tilted in their favor. Um, and then things like flights and hotels, you now have Airbnb. Where you can get a cheaper room, and it might not be as comfortable or as convenient, but if you're looking to save a few bucks uh, and you don't mind taking a train to the game from a little bit farther out of town, that's a good place to uh, start too.
3: You said you you mentioned scalpers. It Reminds me of when we went to Game Seven of the 2003 ALCS, the Aaron Boone game, and you almost got arrested for scalping a ticket. But,
2: but it was your fault.
3: It was not my fault.
2: You picked the guy, I think, or at least I don't know. You were there, so yeah. I blame you. But it was yet, your ticket. We, uh, I almost got arrested. Yeah,
3: that's in uh, the I book. The,
2: that's one of the greatest games I ever saw in my life. Probably the greatest, the loudest that that stadium ever was when I was in there.
3: That story is in the book, I believe. Right? Yes, it is. All right. So tell. Last thing here. Give me. So you've seen every stadium and arena for the for all the teams: NBA, NHL, MLB, NFL. Give me one stadium arena venue in the world you have not been to that is at the top of your list to go to Wimbledon or Uh, the Kentucky Derby, although you've probably done that. I'm sure like, what? give me something.
2: uh, Yes. Uh, Yes. Um, I would love to go to a world cup final uh, at some point. If Italy or Iceland ever make it, those are my two sides Um, anywhere in the world, really. But uh, you know, in addition to that, I'd like to go see a number of the, uh, english premier league uh stadiums pitches as they would say over there um that's high on my list as well uh here i'm 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 missing the preakness to complete my triple cor- crown which i'd like to do uh, no. and uh, at some point in my life i need to go to an s car race and Oof. see what the hell this is all about god that sounds so many people horrible. love it and it. i've got to see what this is like
3: sounds absolutely horrible leave me out of that trip um
2: uh, I absolutely would never ask yeah, you to go on that. I'm sure.
3: not going to on that one. All right, the book is called One Lucky Fan. How can people get it?
2: They can go online, and uh, well, first of all, you can you can look me up on the Twitter. Uh, my handle is at rich o'malley r i c h o m a l l e y. All right, don't get carried away giving out. To, you listen, books.
3: you're getting carried wow. away with the Twitter handle. Sell the book, not the Twitter handle. Amazon well, One Lucky you can find Fan.
2: The link there, or you can go to. How do you buy a book? You go on the internet, you go to Barnes and Noble or you go to Amazon or you go to Google and type it in. One lucky fan and it should pop right at the top.
3: All right, perfect. This is why I hate having people on promoting a book. Then they want to get all crazy with this, that, the other thing.
2: I could promote some upcoming appearances if you like, but I won't.
3: You have appearances?
2: Well, I have one coming up down in Philly here. Yes, it's going to be great. And, I'm, you know, I'm going to sign some books up in a couple of New York uh, City bookstores. So I got stuff like that going on. All
3: right, let, let's if they go
2: to my Twitter handle, they could look it up.
3: I'll give the Twitter handle. Don't worry. Um, let's end on something related to the book. Last question. Give me the single best. This is the fat person in me coming out. Single best food item you've eaten at any stadium or arena in this country.
2: It's very easy, and unfortunately, it's not available anymore, but I can give you a backup. My favorite food at any stadium is the Schmitter, which is a delicious sandwich, which you could once buy at Phillies Games, uh, Citizens Bank Ballpark. It's just a compaction of basically meat and sauces on a, on a bun, and it's delicious. And as a backup to that, you Wait. can go to an Eagles game and still get one.
3: How come they don't have it at the Phillies Games anymore? Do we know? Buy the book and you'll find out. There you go. See, that's why I don't want to have people on who plug a book. Got to plug the <laughs> book instead of give the answer. All right, <laughs> the book is called One Lucky Fan. Rich O'Malley is the author. The foreword was written by Jimmy Trainer. It's and, very good. And thank you. And Rich has seen every, has been to games at every stadium and arena, MLB, yep. NFL, NBA, NHL. One lucky fan. All right. We've sold the book. Thank you, sir. All right. Anytime. Take care. I'll talk to you later. It's very interesting when you have to interview your friend. It's a little nerve wracking there. Do you want to lead him into any stories about me? Uh, so my thanks to Greg Wyshynski for coming on from ESPN and my thanks to my buddy, Rich O'Malley. One lucky fan is his book. Uh, again, archives, feel free to check out past episodes. Last week, Darren Ravel, Andrew Marchand, Mike Green, calling the NBA Finals, was on recently, and he was a great guest. Chris Long, newly retired NFL player in the archives as well. If you can rate and review, helps immensely. Subscribe too would be nice. And uh, that's all we got for this episode. We'll see you next week right here on the SI Media Podcast. Take care.
0: There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. (laughs)